also finally a legislator with the courage <laughs> to stand up to the vanity license plate lobby. That's which right. Which wields <laughs> enormous influence here Big in the plate. Welcome to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast. I'm Matt Levin, data and housing journalist with Cal Matters. And I'm Liam Dillon with the Los Angeles Times. And today on the podcast, we give some attention to a city that definitely deserves more attention in California. San Diego. Yeah, where you used to report. I did. I was there for a while, and it was nice to go back and nice to have a reason to do it. And what's happening in San Diego? They're doing stuff, man. Oh, man. You got a, you got a mayor there, Kevin Faulkner, who's taken a decidedly yimby turn. Mmm. And we have the perfect guest to uh, talk about uh, the mayor's Yimby turn. The mayor. Oh, wow. <laughs> Serendipity. <laughs> we should say we're recording this on Wednesday, March 13th. We actually had a reader email requesting that we say the date when we record the podcast. So Done. reader email obliged. Done. Yes. Liam's interview with uh, Mayor Faulkner happened two weeks ago? No, three weeks ago. It was the end of February. Wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We, we, we missed a week. We're sorry. We did, yes. Yeah. I've been in L.A. Uh, traveling and reporting and uh, attending various data conferences. It's a glamorous life. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> Uh, we will also be doing a, a quick kind of legislative roundup of some important bills that we flagged, as well as talking about the CASA compact. In the Bay Area. Yeah. So a uh, quick uh, uh, knowledge check for those who are not attuned to the way things work at the Capitol. But the legislative deadline for introducing bills has formally ended. So in theory, this should be all the bills that you see. But in practice, there are always bills that are kind of introduced at a later date. But the lion's share and really all the big things we think... Um, are are pretty much out there right now. Yeah, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Now let's turn to the most popular segment in all of California housing podcastery. The it, avocado of the fortnight. Oh, man. I, I feel like our dynamic's a little off this it, time. It, well, you know, we're, it, we're rusty. we missed a week. Yeah. We're rusty, mm-hmm. yeah. This avocado of the fortnight, our look into the whimsical side of California's housing crisis, uh, takes us uh, on the road. Oh. On the highway. Ooh, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. This is a, we got a real, this is some guacamole. This fortnight we got. So uh, in keeping with our theme of the legislative roundup with the end of the legislative deadline, there are always a host of bills that come out uh, and you just kind of try to find them all, right, and take stock of what's going on. There are thousands, literally thousands at this point. So uh, an eagle-eyed person, uh, Diego Aguilar Cannibal, uh, flagged this on Twitter. It is Senate Bill 509 by Senator Anthony Portentino, a Democrat from La Cañada Flintridge. So I, we, I can just read the whole bill. Please. Okay. It is the intent of the legislature to enact legislation to establish a housing crisis awareness license plate program. Finally. <laughs> Finally. You're like, am, am I aware there's a housing crisis? Oh, the guy stopped in front of me on the 405 is alerting me to this. Now I'm like, oh, ma- man. We got to do something about I this guess. now. Um, also, finally, a legislator with the courage <laughs> to stand up to the vanity license plate lobby, That's which right. wields yeah. enormous influence here Big in the plate. Capitol. So we're obviously having some fun with uh, At the Senator... senator's expense here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. But, you know, I mean, there are lots of ways to try to fix housing problems in the state. I'm just not quite sure if license platery is the is a way to 
really do it, you know? Well, well I mean, yeah. let's not, you know, leap to conclusions. This okay. might be, I'm, we have to wait for the LAO analysis to That's see right. what, how effective this program might be. I'm sure yes. there'll be state audits. Yes. Um, but it's not just Senator Portantino that's behind this bill. No, this is, uh, it comes at the direction. Uh, the principal supporter of this is the California Association of Realtors, which is a big player in housing issues. <laughs> so we should note, we reached out to the senator to see yes. if he would, he would uh, unfortunately, the scheduling didn't quite work out. Uh, didn't get a statement from his office either, although they did note that the senator is engaged in other housing issues. That are much more substantive in fairness. Indeed, yeah. including uh, a bill that aims to help homeless college students with housing. Uh, so there you go. Yeah. Um, Liam, I'll put you on the spot. What would your house, California housing crisis vanity license plate, what what would it be? Uh, only I'm only interested if you have to answer after Okay, me. I'll try to think of something. Okay. okay. So it'd be the number two. Okay. And then D-A-M mm. and then H-I. Mm. Feel like that would encompass the whole thing here and get us in within the plate restrictions. Nice, I yeah. like that. Uh-huh. Um, maybe I'd go R N T B R D N D. Brent burdened. Ooh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Cut, and cut those vowels out. No one needs them. No, no one. Yeah, I say that to my editor all the time. <laughs> um, God, I really hope this passes. Uh, is it going to be like words? Like what? What are they going to? I mean, you know, like save the whales. Like you put a whale on it, right? Mm-hmm. Like what do you? You put a house? Like it seems right. What yeah. else? Yeah. I don't know. It's got to be a house. I, I I mean, we have to wait for the bill analysis and the graphic design mock-up. Yes. Uh-huh. Actually, avocado <laughs> audience. <laughs> this seems like something perfect. If you have ideas for uh, either vanity license plate, yes, or um, some type of uh, visual insignia yes. that would uh, denote California's housing crisis right. on a license plate frame, tweet at us. Yeah, this, this could be fun. Sorry, Senator Pornantino. <laughs> um, okay, let's quickly touch base on, before we get to talking about uh, current housing bills in the legislature and what's happening in San Diego, there was some news that broke earlier this week about uh, Governor Gavin Newsom's plan to tie transportation funding to Uh, cities meeting their local housing obligations. Let's quickly talk about what people need to know from that. Sure. So recall quickly, back in January, uh, the governor, when he announced his budget, also announced a plan where he would tie uh, transportation funds, notably Senate Bill 1, which is the gas tax hike, uh, to cities meeting their housing obligations, as Matt said. We were waiting, of course, for the details for this, and they came out uh, this week. And the details um, were a bit of a punt. Uh, the the governor said we're not we're, strong take. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you know, he 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 announced this in January, but he's saying that this tie is not going to take effect until 2023, uh, which is after his first term in office. You yes. Know, uh, uh, potentially, he may not even be reelected, right? So, like, this might after he. Might exit the governor's office, and so uh, you know the argument for this is is you know they're going to go into this process to redo how the housing obligations are met out, pro- certainly to increase them, certainly to sort of you know tie them more along the lines where where there's job growth, uh, so you don't get situations where, as we've noted a million times, Beverly Hills only has an obligation of three new homes to be zoned for over eight years. So. Um, so this is probably not an easy process, right? It's, it's it's complicated, and so you want to understand why they want to take some time to to do it. But at the same time, like after your first term in office is a while, 
Yeah, I, yeah. I, and I, to that point, I think no one, no one expected this really to be done this year. And I, I agree with that. Not to mention, so just putting it in a broader context, legislators have already begun kind of knocking that idea. Democratic legislators. Democratic legislators, Indeed, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So Assemblyman Jim Cooper from the greater Sacramento area right. was fairly vocal about this. A handful of other, you know, prominent legislators. Right. Senator Jim Bell in mm-hmm. San Jose, he authored the gas tax, doesn't like it. He even put a statement out after the timeline was, was uh, you know, announced mm-hmm. that he didn't like this either. And so uh, it's a long road in the legislature to get, to get support for this, even with the delayed timeline. And this is the biggest stick, um, I would argue, maybe aside from actually suing cities, right? Sure. Yeah, and, and, you know, when I talked to his office about this to kind of get a better sense of what their strategy was, I mean, I think there is a clear strategy, which is that, um, you know, part of his budget includes $750 million for incentives for cities to sort of plan uh, for new development and also uh, receive rewards if that new development actually financial rewards they don't would actually happen and you know they argued and I think there's there's a lot of credence to this that given the amount of control that cities have over approving actual housing you need to work with them mm-hmm. um, and you need to uh, sort of be good faith partners with them if you want them to do meet you know work alongside the governor in terms of meeting these more much more ambitious housing goals than we've had in the past and so you give people time and you give them money in advance and then maybe you you bring the stick out later that's the strategy that they're talking about doing and again to be a wet blanket yeah. to your point yeah the legislative analyst office in their analysis basically said there's not much evidence that that those grants actually work, right? Yeah. So I think, I mean, they could, we could quibble and fight about the details, and I think that that's obviously fair. But I think the broad political strategy is, is what is sort of, as I laid it out, right? They want um, to try to give carrots before they bring out the, the, the heavy hand. Yeah, you didn't want to say stick? Nah, I just was tired of it. Let's move on now to the CASA Compact. What, yeah. what is what is the CASA Compact? What is CASA? So for 18 months... First, uh, it doesn't stand for anything. No, which is... I've been trying to write this, and then, like, I like I hate acronyms, so I was trying to write this out, and, and then I... But I couldn't, because it's, like, Committee to House the Bay Area, which is not CASA, right? Yeah. So anyway... Um, So about 18 months, uh, leaders in the Bay Area from different groups, uh, local governments, uh, developers, affordable housing folks, uh, some tenant groups, different folks got together and tried to come up with sort of this omnibus plan that would uh, solve or dramatically tackle, if you will, um, the major housing problems that exist in the Bay Area. And so they came up with a a list of uh, uh, a number of uh, principles, and the argument was to translate these ideas into state legislation because they quickly realized that in order to get all the things done that they wanted to, it required action at the legislative level. And so there have been and there are about a dozen-ish bills that are part of this CASA process um, that uh, are being introduced in the legislature this year, all from Bay Area lawmakers, um, even though uh, the lion's share of them would affect policy, high-profile policy statewide. Let's drill in on that a little bit. Why? Why do they need statewide legislation if this is a Bay Area initiative. Sure. So let's just take something really easy that people are aware of. Um, people know about Costa Hawkins, which prohibits rent control, right, uh, on on apartments that were built after 1995. If you want to add some sort of renter protections, greater renter protections, you have to change state law to do that. You know, we had a ballot measure that tried and failed um, and legislation that tried and failed in this area. And so uh, you got to have it again if you want to take on that, uh, take on that um, uh, big uh, nut. Um, I'm going to just quickly read through some of the kind of specific policy proposals that were in the CASA Compact 
Just Cause Eviction, Emergency Rent Cap, Emergency Rent Assistance and Access to Legal Counsel, Removal of Regulatory Barriers to Additional Dwelling Units, Minimum Zoning Near Transit. This is like a Housing Greatest Hits list. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Reforms that the housing approval process, expedited approvals and financial incentives for selected housing types, Unlock public land for affordable housing. This can be seen as a package of bills and a package of bills with even though there's certainly not unanimity in the Bay Area, uh, judging from my inbox and Twitter um, about uh, the, the, the worthiness of all of these bills. Um, I do think there is a, a critical mass of support or at least a support from groups that aren't necessarily always on the same page. You have a, a backing for this that you may not you don't really have in any other region for another co- coordinated housing approach. And let's let's talk about those groups really quick. Yeah. Yeah. So these are groups that don't typically um, get together and agree on everything, but there is a clear effort to try to get them on the same page um, here. And there's still, again, it's a little it's a little fuzzy, but again, more coordination than I think that that we're used to seeing really out of any region or really even in the Bay Area on this. Uh, there are um, this is the, the process was run by MTC, which is um, the transit and uh, planning agency, regional government in the Bay Area. They brought together developer groups, nonprofit foundations, tenant organizations, uh, all these sorts of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, representatives of the tech industry. Uh, local lawmakers, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I wrote a piece uh, last week looking at rent caps. Um, yeah, I think this is the certainly the highest profile measure on the tenant side. Um, And so why don't you explain kind of what the idea is behind what lawmakers would be trying to do here? Sure. So uh, there's a important distinction to be made between traditional rent control and uh, anti-rent gouging. Yeah, I agree. Um, Traditional rent control usually is, okay, landlords, you can only raise the rent, you know, uh, let's say, you know, 4%, 5%. Yeah, something like that, right? Um, Whereas an anti-rent gouging measure um, says, okay, landlords, you can only raise the rent 10%, Up 8%. to a certain, right. It's basically saying uh, you can't, like, spike someone out of their house, essentially. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, Oregon uh, made national news. They passed what has been characterized as statewide rent control. I don't which agree with that. Yeah. I don't agree with that. And I'll yeah. tell you who also doesn't. Tenant groups in Oregon don't right. really agree with that. Right. Although, generally, they're fans of that legislation. So, so that, that's being seen as a model for what could be done here in California? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, tomorrow there will likely be an announcement from Assemblymember David Chu. At the time you're listening to this, most exactly. likely. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that proposes something involving rent caps and an anti-rent gouging measure. We don't know the specifics just yet, um, but we were both told that this is happening tomorrow, and it's, it is going to be a— tough kind of political needle for Assemblymember Chu from San Francisco um, to thread uh-huh. because you have tenant groups that will probably want a strong form of anti-rent gouging, um, and you have landlord groups that are sticking their chests out after what happened with Prop 10 last right. year right. and might not have much of an incentive to negotiate. Yeah, and we're going to spend a lot of time on this uh, in the in the future. But just a quick note, which is I think it's really interesting context. You know, during the campaign Prop Ten campaign last year, there was a proposal that was put out by uh, UC Berkeley's Turner Center, That's seen right. as a compromise, which was very similar in scope to this idea, right? And at that time, tenant groups were not fans, and landlord groups were much friendlier to it, right? Uh, and it'll be interesting to see in the context of sort of the post Prop Ten 
world, the post sort of uh, uh, a world where the, where the uh, attempt to repeal Kostakin's lost, whether those dynamics will have changed at all. Okay, uh, let's talk about some other statewide bills related to the CASA Compact. Um, let's talk about Nancy Skinner's bill, Senator from Berkeley. Yeah, so she introduced um, Senate Bill 330, which is extremely aggressive. Um, it, it, it says, essentially, uh, the argument it tries to equate uh, what's happening with California housing with a natural disaster, with uh, a wildfire or a flood or whatever, and says there should be emergency measures that are taken for a period of 10 years that uh, would allow for um, basically repealing or suspending a whole host of local development regulations when it comes to parking requirements, when it comes to height limits, really um, when it comes to uh, fees on, on building uh, housing, really uh, just about the gamut of what local governments can do to sort of shape how, uh, specifically shape how their, their communities uh, look and have, have in the past. Um, and what are the chances that this bill actually passes? You know, it's interesting because, um, um, you know, and we should give some context on Nancy Skinner because uh, uh, I think, you know, we, don't, we haven't talked about her much on, in, the, in, in this podcast yeah. before. She's a powerful lawmaker. She's Very not, so. you know, not a kind of fly-by-night. I mean, she introduces bills that, that, have a, that are, are impactful, and they also have a good chance of passing when she introduces it. And so that Also was a name floated to be the head of the Senate Housing Committee. Yeah, and was considered maybe a, a possible pro tem for a time, mm-hmm. right, before Tony Atkins got it. Um, I don't necessarily think that Skinner's bill is going to pass, but I think— um, because there are so many bills like it, whether you consider, you know, Scott Weiner's Senate Bill 50, which upzones around uh, 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 transit, similar to this, in that, and it goes after sort of the sacrosanct local control principle um, that we've had here. And if there are a lot of those bills, then I think it's harder to stop them all. You know, it's more likely that something that something will will get through rather than nothing. How would Skinner's bill, cue the segue, affect a city like San Diego? Yeah, so that's interesting. You know, we get into a lot with uh, the mayor during the interview about all the things that San Diego is trying to do, and we'll explain them uh, to increase um, uh, housing production. But there are a number of things in in San Diego that uh, both Skinner's bill and and Weiner's bill would go after that uh, Faulkner is not trying to touch. The city there is not trying to touch. So, for instance, San Diego has a uh, 30-foot height limit along its coastline that's implemented by voters in the 70s. Uh, and uh, kind of a, one of those third rail issues in local politics there. Um, and Skinner's bill would do away with that for 10 years. That's the intention, at least according to, to her office, what and they've told how, me. how would people from San Diego react to not that? Not good. Uh, San Diego, not a city known for urban density. No. Mm-mm. Much like Los Angeles. Right. Why is the Republican mayor of San Diego taking this very public, yes, in my backyard turn? So I think it's a few reasons. One, I do think it, it in some ways aligns um, historically with uh, what uh, Kevin Faulkner has been about since he's been in office, which is generally pro-development. I mean, he did represent, he has represented, interestingly, the district that he represented. He was a city councilman before becoming mayor. The district he represented was both part of the coast and also downtown San Diego. When downtown San Diego does accept a significant amount of density, and he was uh, super supportive of that, but he was also, as a council member, uh, supportive of height limits and the coastal height limit in particular and other height limits that kept you know people in his district happy about the way that the coastline looked. He has shifted off of that stance and now being um, uh, sort of seeing that the way to, in some ways, harmonize this pro-development stance that he has historically had with sort of the shifting winds of, 
Um, the, uh, when it comes to the housing affordability crisis that has affected San Diego as much as anywhere else in the state, or at least, well, I, I think that's, that's relatively true. Um, the housing prices there have gone up significantly, so have rents, yeah. right? And so um, he wants to do a lot of things that I think are in line with the philosophy of what uh, a bunch of state lawmakers have talked about doing, um, which is uh, removing parking requirements um, from uh, buildings, uh, new buildings near new homes, rather near transit. Uh, also getting rid of height limits um, outside of the coastline near transit. He wants to wipe away all height limits for housing. Uh, also wants to um, allow for uh, increases in density. Um, that would uh, uh, sort of be a sliding scale depending on um, uh, how much affordability is set aside for, for folks. And so pretty aggressive um, local policies that, that, that touch on kind of all the things that uh, local governments have in the past used to restrict what, what's able to get built. And how are those proposals going over, especially with a majority Democratic uh, city council, correct? Yeah, that, that's right. And it is interesting. And it's, it's actually a super majority Democratic city council at this point. So they can override anything that he would were to veto. Uh, the parking, um, while uh, our interview happened before this, um, so you'll see so here are some references to this, but the parking uh, uh, debate uh, passed, the city council's past that. Um, and I think generally there's a supportive um, city council for these ideas. I think there's probably going to be the biggest fight. Um, right now, San Diego has a pretty um, uh, thin inclusionary requirement, a requirement for the amount of uh, homes that are set aside for low-income folks when new development uh, occurs. It's a, a 10% or a fee, which is what happens most of the time. I think a lot of the Democrats in city council want to uh, raise that or make that tighter. And I think we'll see a fight over that when it comes to the height limit, right? Yeah. So, so, but generally speaking, uh, Democrats are supportive of, uh, of what the mayor is thinking about doing. Anything else on San Diego's EMB turn? Uh, no, let's just hear from the mayor. Fantastic. And I, I wasn't able to be part of this interview that happened a couple weeks back. So you will only be hearing um, Liam and Mayor Faulkner. So we're here with San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner uh, talking about what he's trying to do in his city. Mayor Faulkner, thank you so much for being with us. Liam, good to be with you. Thanks for having me. So tell us what you want, how you want to change the rules for allowing housing development in San Diego and why that's important. Well, uh, thank you. Um, it's one of the biggest focuses that, that we're doing right now in San Diego. And from an overall perspective, uh, what I'm trying to do is set the culture to say yes uh, to more housing. Uh, particularly in the face of, of NIMBYism and policies that have prevented uh, the housing that we need, particularly the affordable housing uh, that we need in San Diego. So we are talking about a significant uh, overhaul with one goal. How do we make it easier to actually get these units constructed? So what specifically are you proposing? Uh, we're right in the, in the midst of, of a, a real focus on citywide. And, and, so, and I can't emphasize that enough because um, a, a citywide plan uh, that will allow for greater density focused on multifamily areas around transit corridors, which is where we want this growth and development uh, to occur. Um, and I can't tell you how, how often I have seen, not just as mayor, um, but as city councilman uh, for years, good quality projects that have been stopped um, by, as I said, uh, primarily uh, NIMBYism or others um, that should not have been. And so what we're doing is a intentional, concentrated effort that says, here's where we want this growth and development to occur, and let's make it as easy as possible. And by right, 
uh, to actually make that happen, to take some of the politics uh, out of it, politics that has from far too long stopped good quality projects from coming out of the ground. So you're talking uh, getting rid of uh, uh, height limits uh, for multifamily development near transit. We are. Uh, eliminating parking requirements, um, density. We are. Uh, <laughs> uh, all those sorts of things. Um, okay. And in uh, fact, yeah. uh, next week in front yeah. of the city council, the first uh, leg of that. So this is, the parking sorry, this is going to be the, the, the first week of March. This is yes. going to be discussed. Okay. It is. Yeah. Um, on, on the parking requirements. Okay. Um, and, and I've really tried to frame this as, you know, too often in politics is, you know, partisan issues weigh in. This is not a partisan issue. This is what should we be doing uh, in San Diego to actually fix the problem. And so uh, I've been encouraged uh, by the bipartisan support that these reforms uh, have generated so far. I'm under no illusion, Liam, that they're going to be easy because anytime you're talking about change, change to the status quo, um, there were folks that won't like that. Uh, but as I've gone out and continued to go out, and really focused on either we have a housing crisis or we don't. We do. So what do we do? What actions are we intending to take that actually fixes the problem? And that's why these policies have been designed to actually provide action. So you've been elected official in San Diego for a very long time. Um, uh, you used to be more sensitive to some of these neighborhood concerns over heights, uh, over parking, over community character than you seem to no. be now. Uh, what's changed for you? Well, I think that's a fair assessment. I think you got to that in your, in your uh, article. Uh, the absolute need to make changes, the absolute need to provide uh, more opportunities for affordable housing uh, because the old policies simply weren't working. Um, and again, my focus is on doing this in transit priority areas across the entire city because we need to make real change on doing this. Again, these are areas where we have said we want multifamily housing. All right, so let's actually uh, make the reforms that will actually get us these projects. So it was just that um, uh, building more housing is more important than protecting views or, or listening to perhaps what a neighborhood may think about that development? Again, these are areas where we have said we want to encourage these multifamily housing. Um, and so my point is, okay, well, how do we actually get it constructed to get at the density that we need uh, and to actually make a difference? We've spent a lot of time on streamlining uh, a lot of systems in San Diego that has achieved, actually, we've seen a growth in building permits. That's good, but it's not enough. Uh, and so we're, we're making a concerted effort, again, to say, let's actually take away the disincentives. Let's try to take the politics out of this. Let's try to create the affordable housing that San Diego needs. And that if we are going to remain competitive as a city and as a region when it comes to economic development, we have to provide the housing. Mm -hmm. uh, those cities that don't realize that or that don't recognize that are not going to be able to long term sustain the ability of job creation. So one thing that uh, stuck out to me as I've been watching your conversations over this uh, on this issue over the past couple months. You've really leaned in to uh, being calling yourself a Yimby, using that brand uh, really intentionally a bunch of times. I have. What? What? Why? Why is it something that's important for you to for you to communicate yourself as as a Yimby? You know, I, what I'm trying to communicate is is we need a change and a change from the politics of no, no, no. Um, that have, as I mentioned earlier, have oftentimes stopped good quality projects. You will get folks that will say, well, I, I support we need more housing, Mr. Mayor, or I support we need more affordable housing or services for homeless. I just don't want them right here. And so what I've tried to do is flip that conversation to say, yes, we need to have more housing. Yes, to more options to get people off the street from our homeless population. So it's about saying yes in my backyard rather than saying not in my backyard. 
So what, what is it about that movement? That movement, I mean, you know, but there are a lot of, it, it means different things to different people. Um, you know, you've seen Ben Carson, head of HUD, refer to himself as, as a YIMBY. Yeah. Generally speaking, um, there's a certain wing of the Democratic Party here at the state level that tries to brand itself as, YIM, as a YIMBY, while there are others that, that see that, particularly on the, on the left uh, as well, that see that as, as sort of uh, kowtowing to developer interests. Yeah. Um, wh- wh- how do you define... Yeah. Um, you know, what that is and, and where your, your place is on you that. You know, I, I don't view it through a partisan lens. Um, I view it through either we're going to actually have more housing that's affordable or we're not. <laughs> and so though all of those policies and procedures that acted to prevent housing, we need to change. Um, and, and so that, that whole philosophy is, again, I, I don't think it's a partisan issue. I think it's, a, it's the right thing that we need to be doing. If we want to create economic opportunity, if we want to create housing so our kids can actually afford to stay in California, to live in San Diego, we need to do things differently. Um, and so I, I think it's, um, it, it's not only uh, catching on, um, but again, it, it's a realization um, that if you don't change the system, you're not going to change the results. Uh- you mentioned you don't think this is a partisan issue, but you are a Republican. Uh, you are the uh, 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 only Republican mayor of a large city uh, in the country. Um, so I want to ask a little bit, a uh, qu- couple questions through that lens. Um, we had a Republican state senator on here, this podcast recently, who said that the state's plans to react to relax local zoning rules along the same lines of what you want to do in San Diego. He called it, quote, social engineering. Um, so you do, do you believe that? Relaxing zoning rules well, in, in this way is I'm, social you know, engineering. I'm not sure what his comments were yeah. referring to, but well, relaxing I, zoning rules. Yeah, but uh, what, yeah. what I'm trying to do is actually say we we've had zoning in San Diego. We've yeah. zoned where we want multifamily. Let's actually provide the opportunity to get it done, and and so you know taking away um, obstacles, uh, taking some of the politics out of it by making this by right, um, and, and so you don't see what I've seen too often as a councilman and as a mayor. Uh, which is the forces of opposition will say, we support this, we just don't want it here. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm trying to change. Okay. Um, talk to me about how you think Republicans should address the housing the issues of housing affordability. Straight on. Um, lean into it. Uh, and and be, um, be upfront about the old way wasn't working. Um, and again, when, when we look at some of the growth that we're seeing that I'm, I'm very you know, proud of in San Diego and I've, I've, you know, our climate action plan, um, which we are leaning into, uh, attracting good quality companies, growing smaller companies into larger companies, you have to be able to provide the infrastructure that allows that to happen. Uh, you know, what we're doing on transit with our, with our new trolley line, our mid-coast trolley line, but it's always going to be tied back to housing. And if you do not provide the affordable housing, the workforce housing, all of your other economic goals and job goals are not going to be achievable, yeah. not sustainable for the long term. Uh, and so that's why it's, it's, it's an essential element to a healthy, well-functioning city to have that balance in your housing stock. We are not in balance. I'm trying to change that. You said straight on. But what particular policies do you think uh, that are in line with your uh, views and, and political philosophy and personal philosophy yeah. on addressing housing do you think need to change? And and let's keep in mind also there is there is a tension I think in, in conservative uh, viewpoints between the idea of deregulating as some of the things that you're proposing doing in San Diego and preserving sort of neighborhood control yeah. uh, you know as much as possible. So how do you how do you I deal do with and, that? and and I think and you're right and I think you hit the nail on the head and and you have to be able to strike that balance. You have to be able to say here's where we want the additional growth, and probably just as importantly, here's where we don't. That's why zoning is important. 
But it's not enough just to say we have zoning for it, and then you have policies that actually prevent it from happening. <laughs> and so why, again, we're focused on doing this as a citywide effort um, is to make sure that we are putting uh, this additional housing options close to transit priority corridors. Um, and I feel very strongly about that. And as we're making some of the largest investment uh, in transit in San Diego, trying, again, to, to change the needle on this, that's where you want housing to go. Um, I think it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, is, again, it, it won't be easy. Um, but we're going to be doing this very openly, very transparently. As I've announced it, we're going to go through a process uh, to go do it citywide. You're going to have some pushback. I understand that. But my pushback would be, um, so what's your idea <laughs> on how do we actually get more housing? Mm -hmm. I'm welcome for new ideas. We're looking always at best practices. Um, but what we're really trying to do in San Diego is be leaders on this. Leaders based upon experience of what has worked, but also leaders based upon experience of we need to change the status quo. Uh, Governor Newsom has proposed uh, a series of potential, potentially punitive measures for local governments that he believes are blocking housing. Do, do you agree with that approach? You know, and, and I've seen some of those uh, uh, actions. I'll, I'll answer your question this way. I think it's important um, for cities to not only have uh, realistic housing plans, um, but actually provide policies to make those happen. And so to me, it's not just a matter of sticks or punitive actions, but what I'm going to be looking to the state for, and in fact, I met with some of the governor's folks uh, just yesterday, uh -huh. is statewide reforms that will make it easier for cities to accomplish these goals. One of the biggest reforms that we need out of Sacramento is CEQA reform. Too often, CEQA is used as a weapon to stop projects. We have to have that reform. Um, there's been a lot of talk about that over the last several years, um, but I tend to, I'm, I'm going to be uh, very active and vocal this year on pushing those policies at the state level that will actually help us achieve those goals. CEQA is one. The second big one, Liam, that I, that I think we have to get back to, our number one source of affordable housing in San Diego and other cities across the state was redevelopment funds. Mm -hmm. And when the state ended redevelopment, that was a tragic mistake. Um, because it took away one of our biggest funding mechanisms to leverage dollars to provide this workforce and affordable housing. So those are two big areas um, that I'm going to be pushing strongly on at the state capitol. Again, these should not be partisan issues. Um, and so I will remain optimistic as our ability to actually try to achieve that. What, what, how do you think your relationship and other cities' relationships with this new governor um, will be different on housing issues from the previous one? Well, look, as I said, I've been encouraged by some of the, um, the actions the new administration is talking about, um, particularly on uh, the issue of homelessness and the need for additional housing. Um, so I think it starts with, with an open slate. Um, you know, part of the reason I'm up here in, in Sacramento is to talk about what we're doing in San Diego, but also those changes at the state level that I think will, will be beneficial. Um, and, and this is not just an issue in San Diego. It's an issue in Los Angeles. It's an issue here in Sacramento and across the state. So let's let's actually try to work together uh, on these issues. That's my my very uh, key message. And so uh, I'm optimistic. You have to be <laughs> in this job, uh, and, and we'll see what happens. Uh, you talked a lot about in your city trying to incentivize um, building around transit areas. Um, there is legislation this year from Senator Scott Weiner from San Francisco, which would uh, uh, similarly uh, try to um, allow for four to five story apartment buildings around a certain area uh, near transit stops. What's your position on that bill? Well, I, I think Senator Weiner, who's really been a leader on this uh, in housing, um, I think his goals are, are the right goals. How do we provide policies that actually increase and make that happen? Um, we'll see the specifics of the bill as it actually winds through the legislature. Um, 
but what I'm trying to do in San Diego is not wait for uh, the state. Uh, I'm trying to do what I think we need to do locally that actually will make it happen regardless of what happens with state legislation this year. So the senator's proposal would affect uh, areas that are now uh, zoned only for one house, only zoned for single-family zoning. Your proposals in the city level, correct me if I'm wrong, but they do not. They only address areas that are, that are for no. multifamily. Is that single-family zoning uh, preservation, uh, would that be a deal-breaker for you for supporting this kind of legislation? I think it's, I think it's important. Um, and I think, again, if, if we're trying to make change, change that actually can be embraced, uh, even though it'll be difficult. Uh, I think uh, multifamily zones along transportation corridors, again, particularly think of a city the size of, of San Diego. We, and for our climate action plan to truly um, uh, continue to, to take hold and to have success, we want to encourage growth and development primarily around transportation corridors um, and around multifamily housing. I think that's the right approach. Uh, again, that won't be easy, um, but I think it's our best opportunity for success. But couldn't you encourage more growth in those areas uh, if you would also uh, upzone or increase density on parcels that are now only for single family? Well, again, I think the, the approach that we're taking on multifamily, again, it's already been zoned for it. Um, we want additional units. We want additional density. This is going to be a game changer. It has to be accepted as well, uh, and it's not going to be easy. So I think this is the right approach. Uh, give us a timeline on 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 uh, when these policies are going to be um, uh, taken up by the city council, and also um, why don't we just start there? Give us a timeline for yeah. when you think these policies will be taken up by the city. Uh, we're, we're moving now. Yeah. We're moving quick. Uh, some quicker than others. Um, the parking, uh, uh, the, the changes we're making on parking, I should yeah. say, are coming to the council uh, next week. So the first um, week of March. I'm just, that, I keep mentioning yeah. that because we're, we're going to be publishing this oh, later see, yeah. than, yes. yes uh, next next yes. week and the yes. first week in March. Yeah. Um, that'll be a real test, Liam. Yeah. Um, uh, because, again, it's, it's a lot of folks will talk about the need for housing reform, the need for changes. I'm trying to say, taking that, that talk away and listen, let's actually do some action. Um, and, and so that will be coming uh, very quickly. And then, again, back to uh, some of the other changes, we're looking at this on a, on a citywide basis. So we will be expediting environmental review because, again, I, wanted, I want this to, to be able to not only be approved but stand the test of time. Uh, so we're involved in that right now. Um, how should, if, these, if your plans pass, how should we judge uh, their effectiveness? Uh, is it um, prices going down? Uh, is it rents going down? Is it maybe prices going down citywide versus in those particular yeah. neighborhoods? Help us understand how we how how we should judge your success on this. Yeah, and, and I think um, like everything, it's uh, it'll take a while to see actually if we're we'll be able to create the units that we want. I think that'll be our, our largest uh, gauge of that, which is are we going to incentivize the creation of affordable units because of the incentives that we are providing and the densities that we are providing, the height lift restrictions that we are. Uh, taking away. Um, I, I think we'll get a, a pretty clear sense of that once this policy passes, uh, when we actually see applications to actually construct them. Then we'll know we're on the right path. So we should judge you by how many new permit requests come in or just, to, again, help you understand what the, what the yeah, accountability I think, measure is here? I think here. that's going to be part of it. Um, I think it's going to be not only permit requests, we're going to see how many units that are going to be constructed coming out of the ground. Uh, certainly, when you look at um, you know, uh, these are going to be affordable units. And, and so what do we want more of? We want more affordable units. And so that will ultimately, I think, be the, the best gauge of success. Uh, 
so production rather than necessarily looking at uh, prices? I think the two will go hand in hand. Um, and, and again, why we're, why we're focusing on affordable um, is because that is some of the biggest missing elements that we have, not only in San Diego, uh, but you know, in other cities up and down coastal California. There's plenty on the high end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we want to actually have units that uh, working San Diegans can afford, um, I think this is the right policy. So are you proposing anything new when it comes to setting aside um, a certain percentage of units that may be a, a part of these uh, new developments we're looking for at, low we're, income? We're looking at all of that right now. Uh, and that'll and be, how do you weigh that? Um, it's wait for the ability of obviously the ability of the market to construct the units certainly, but also with the need of we want, uh, and that's why this in, approach is an incentive based approach, uh, and that's why I think it's our best opportunity success. Um, going back to the parking requirements, yeah. the, the initial uh, feedback we've got from those in the affordable industry is this will be a game changer because the price of parking is so incredibly uh, high when you look at these units that we're trying to construct. Uh, so I, I think I think it is going to work. Um, and and again, I'm trying to I did not develop these policies in a vacuum. I develop them around stakeholders, folks that are actually going to build and construct these units. Um, to say, is this going to be a help? Is this going to be an incentive? Is this one you're going to use? Do you think we're actually going to uh, change things and move the needle? Uh, the answer so far has been resoundingly yes. Um, so we've got to actually get the policies in place. Um, and, and I'm as, again, I'm, I'm optimistic that it's going to it's going to really help move the needle. Where's the best place to get a taco in San Diego? Well, since I'm mayor, I'm going to say virtually every neighborhood, <laughs> Liam. Uh, but uh, where, uh, <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll reframe. Where, I'll, I'll, I'll ask where you do a question you go? There. Where do you go when you want to when you want to get a taco? I go, uh, man. I go all the way. If I'm downtown, I'll go right across the street in the city hall. But if I'm in uh, Point Loma, I got. Uh, I got many great options all the, all the time, man. You're not gonna you're not gonna plug one local business because <laughs> you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna get stuff from everybody. Come on. <laughs> all right, what's your favorite kind of taco then? Carne asada, fish taco, like what? What's your favorite kind of taco? My why? go-to is clearly carne asada, okay. but uh, fish taco is the close second. And okay. as a guy who lived in San Diego, you know how important that is <laughs> to have have a good fish taco. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, just at Rubio's last week. How's okay. that? So they were doing a. The best fish tacos you'll ever have. Um, what else? What, is there anything we missed or that you want to emphasize? No, you know, I'm just, I, um, uh, I'm just looking forward to the fact that um, action. I can't stress that enough. I'm really building these proposals around it's time to say yes. Um, as your article in the Times uh, pointed out, there's going to be folks that are going to oppose that. Um, that's okay. Um, but just say no is not going to change the equation. It's time to say yes. It's time to take action. It's time to make changes. Um, that's what this is all about. Mayor Kevin Faulkner, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast. Again, I'm Matt Levin, housing and data journalist with CalMatters. You can find me on Twitter at MLevinReports. I'm Liam Dillon with the LA Times, and my Twitter handle is at Dylan Liam. Stay tuned for next time. <laughs>